So when I was born, my parents treated me, they treated me like a grown-up. They treated me capable. They, they believed in me, I mean, to a fault. I mean, I've got great stories of my parents, you know, just leaving me at home and, you know, all the things that would get parents arrested now. Um, but, but they just believed I could do anything, you know, maybe a little uh, ill-founded. Um, and so my dad treated me as though I was an incredibly capable individual and he never treated me, quote unquote, like a girl. Welcome to Her Drive Podcast, a female-focused interview series with women of the world discussing their road trips to success. I'm your host, Cindy Cramblett, a travel expert, business owner, and curious spirit with a knack for meeting fascinating women. Please join me as I hop in the passenger seat and chat with these ambitious women about what drives them, twists and turns, and those pedal-to-the-metal moments. Let's drive. Hello and welcome to Her Drive Podcast. It's hard to believe that we are nearing the end of the year. I reside in Texas and I'm lucky that the leaves have not turned and started to fall like it has in many other parts of the country. And there's still a lot of beautiful landscaping all around me. I grew up in the Northeast and landscaping really kind of went by the wayside when winter came. So I'm really excited to be talking about today's guest, whose really career from, from what I understand has been within the landscaping space. And Monique has broken out into being an author. She is a business coach who focuses on branding, team building, and creating a positive culture, which is really something special, especially in a male-dominated industry like what she's in. So without further ado, I would like to welcome Monique Allen to Her Drive. How are you? I'm doing great. What's your story? What is it that you're doing? How can you wrap that into a beautiful bowl? Yeah. So I, you know, the evolution of a career is, um, is such an interesting thing. And I love that you call it her drive podcast. And it's, it's really kind of asking that question, like what is driving you forward? And like any trip, you know, you've got, you get in the car, you drive, you go for a certain amount of time, and then you've got to like pull over and refuel. Like, you know, you check the map, you look at it again, you decide, am I still going in this direction? And then you get back on the road and I really feel like a career, a life isn't all that much different. I fell into the landscape industry. So as a, in my late teens, uh, I was very lost, did not know what to do. Um, you know, everybody's, of course, asking you, whoa, what are you going to do? What are you going to do now that you're done with high school? And tried college and was just really bumbling around. And I got a job landscaping, just literally like raking leaves um, and uh, doing a spring cleanup. And I came alive. I just absolutely loved it. It was like nothing I had ever done before. And I was so moved by it because it tapped into something that back then I didn't understand. I understand it a whole lot more now. And, um, and so I just followed it. I kept following that, that idea, that thread. I kept looking for different jobs, working with different people. And I got a mentor, a really wonderful woman who was a designer and um, just a real specialist, something that this is back in the 80s. So something that um, wasn't as popular as it is now. The word perennial, you know, didn't didn't exactly roll off the tongues of people in the 80s. Um, and, uh, and so I just kept following it. I did end up 
uh, completing college, I did a, a degree in entrepreneurship. My father's an immigrant uh, from the Middle East and a self-employed family. So all these things kind of started to coalesce and come together. And I fell in love with a thing to do, realized that I had the the drive and the ambition and maybe a little bit of audacity. Um, and and so just I kept I kept moving and learning. And here I am 37 years in. Um, I have a multi-seven-figure landscape company that focuses on fine gardening. So we really are fine gardeners. We're horticulturalists. So I don't own a lawnmower. Well, I have one little one, but you know, we don't mow lawns. We don't do big spring and fall cleanups. We don't plow snow. Um, so we don't look like the other landscapers. We're really dealing with horticultural excellence. We're dealing with how to develop beautiful spaces that help to draw the energy and the vitality from the land so that the people who interact with these landscapes also feel like they're fulfilled. They start to love their homes. Uh, instead of worrying about curb appeal, they start to experience the arrival at their home. And that's so different. You know, one is kind of like an applique of pretty, and the other is a vibrational resonance that actually comes right through your body where you can actually drive home from a long day of work or from just errands or whatever and drive into your driveway and actually exhale a sigh of relief. That is our goal. That is what we do. We help people to develop their home spaces and their business spaces so that they really, really encapsulate the best possible organization, the best possible health vitality. And it's got to have pop, right? It's got to have wild factor and feel really yummy and delicious. Um, and that is what a lifescape is. So that's what I do in the actual landscape. Wow. Um, I'm extremely blown away. And so much of what you said really, for lack of a better word, resonated with me. I think our, our home spaces are so extremely important to our well-being and just a sense of peace within ourselves. Mm -hmm. And whether you live in just you know a one-bedroom apartment or uh, a large estate, uh, it's I think it's very important to love everything or as much as possible that's within uh, your the, your domicile. So mm -hmm. why not have the external be that first place of coming home to take that big you know, relief and feel immediately um, better that, that you're home and just very welcome. Yeah. Especially so, now. <clears throat> oh, sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. So kind of going back to the more of the beginning of your story, mm -hmm. um, getting a job in landscaping, how, how did your interest grow from there? And, and how did you start to understand the importance of residence within, um, within the gardenscape? Mm -hmm. Well, I look at my career kind of um, in decades, right? You know, sort of these 10-year chunks. And um, the first 10 years, I was really exploring. So at the very beginning, like when you start something, like when you start in the trades, any of the trades, you know, they're crafts. And um, as much as DIY wants to tell everyone that they can do everything, um, sure, I can, you know, I can change out a light socket if I jump on YouTube and, you know, follow the directions, but it doesn't make me an electrician. Um, and, 
And this idea of being a professional gardener um, has a lot to do with the fact that you are tuning into a life force vibration. You are actually tuning into the planet. And and in order to be really, really good at it, you kind of got to get, you got to build a relationship with it. <laughs> and what I didn't know in the beginning, um, I was a, um, had a lot of trauma in my early years and um, part of my lostness was, you know, I just was sort of untethered and ungrounded. And when I started working in the soil, you know, literally having my hands in the soil, you know, being dirty, being in the sun, sweating, working physically, um, I was so drawn to that. It was so grounding. It was so regulating. It was, uh, you know, neurologically re regulating. It was physiologically regulating. Uh, it was mood regulating. And so these were all things that I needed. And so I followed it mostly because I felt alive in it and I felt safe and good and held in it. And then, and then what started to happen was I started to get curious. You know, I had a, I had a mentor that would ask me questions and um, would kind of quiz me as, as we were working and, you know, chastise me if I did something wrong, you know, or, or very bad, but, you know, as any good mentor would. Um, but, but what happened is that my curiosity was sparked. And when you really, when someone's curiosity gets sparked, I mean, truly sparked, it's very hard to turn that off. And so like, I would get curious about trees because I didn't know that all trees flower and all trees have seeds. And so now I'm looking at these trees that I've never noticed before. And then, you know, I'm, I'm learning about root flares and, and this whole mulch volcano that people do is so bad because it damages the root flare. So now I'm, I'm, I'm curious about rooting. So I'm looking at that and it literally like one thing after another continues to open up your mind. And for me, because I was entrepreneurial in spirit, uh, probably in my DNA, because I had entrepreneurs on both sides of my family. Um, I always saw a way to do it better. I always saw another angle or way to make money or to upsell or to add. And um, my mentor was really, really good at what she did, but she wasn't a good business person. Um, but she was brilliant at the design and the plants and all of that. And so I took that and then I married it to the next thing, which was business. And that's how, you know, and I started so young. I mean, I was 21 years old when I formally went out on my own. Um, and uh, I'll never forget selling my first five-figure job at 21. And, and I remember, oh my gosh, I remember going up to this one door and uh, the man who answered the door kind of looked at me, kind of looked me up and down. And then he went and, and then he said, damn, you're, you're a young thing. And, you, you know, and I just, I didn't, I think it, you know, it was so, when I started, it was so beyond before there was any language about uh, any good language about uh, when something was uh, misogynistic or, or sexist or anything. I just remember being a little taken aback and then being like, yeah, watch me like <laughs> little, it doesn't matter. Um, so there's just so many stories like that where my curiosity just was, um, it was just blossoming over and over and over again. And then every single win, you've heard of the winner effect, right? Like you win and then you realize you can win 
So you set yourself up for more wins. It's actually just a, a function of the brain. And so every time I would win, I would think, well, there's a, there's a way to amplify this. There's a way to extend on this, grow on this, build on this. And so I just kept, I just kept advancing over the years. I find everything that you said so extremely fascinating. Mm. And um, I love that you mentioned coming from um, a family of entrepreneurs and I have lots of friends that are immigrants and a lot of, um, a lot of the, the, um, of them, excuse me, have come to the country, their parents came to the country and they started businesses. And I just wonder what it is about the immigrant spirit that leads to that. Mm. Well, you know, I think at least for me, so on my mom's side, uh, my, and it's actually very interesting on my mother's side, my mother's mother, my grandmother, um, had a nursery a, a, for like a daycare for children. And she had seven children herself and had this daycare. And her mother was an immigrant, uh, died at 26. She's actually, um, her name is actually on the Statue of Liberty, you know, all around it. There's a plaques. Her mm-hmm. name is on there. And um, she died young. So my grandmother was really young when she died, but she was an immigrant. Her, her father was an immigrant. And um, she was just really self-starting. You know, she had all these kids. She had to take care of kids all the time and figured, well, if I'm taking care of all these kids, why don't I take care of a whole bunch of other kids, you know, and, uh, and, and make some money. Um, and I think there's a resourcefulness. I think when somebody makes the decision um, to pull up roots and like go across the ocean, uh, that takes an enormous amount of drive. Enormous. On my father's side, my father's from the Middle East, um, Syrian Armenian, and he came here for school. You know, he came, he went to Germany, and on his way to Germany, met my mother in, in France. And, um, he came here to go to school and he did work, you know, for other people, but his family was self-employed. And at some point you just realize, I think there's something where it says, you know, I'm, I'm going to pave my own way. I'm just, I'm just going to call the shots. I'm going to figure out how to do this. And on the one hand, I think the entrepreneurial spirit of a few decades ago was much more rooted in a belief that we could differentiate and we could really improve our trade, the experience of our trade. I fear that now entrepreneurship is all, yeah, I just want to be my own boss and make a lot of money. (laughs) Oh, it certainly seems that way, does it not? It really does. And I see it in my space because my space is very easy for people to, you know, oh, okay, just get a used pickup truck, a shovel, a wheelbarrow, a rake. Okay, I'm a landscaper. But you're really not. You're just a guy with a shovel and a rake and a pickup truck. Um, you know, it. there's a, there's a depth um, that is required to truly learn a trade. And I think there's a depth that's required to truly be an entrepreneur. And that depth is understanding that if you're a trade professional, you, you, you are going to learn the trade. And then if you decide you want to be self-employed, then you're going to learn that trade. 
because the entrepreneurial trade in and of itself is such a deep, intricate, dynamic, ever-changing opportunity that has nothing to do with landscaping. Mm. Right. So, so you have to, you know, the minute I say, I want to, I want to own a landscape company, I actually have to give up some of the passion and what I loved about landscaping, because now I have to use that passion energy in developing the actual business. And that's why I wrote a book. That's why I became a business coach, because I was seeing so many people being fed this line that anybody can landscape and anybody can own a business and seeing people suffer for no reason. There was no reason why people would have to suffer. They were just kind of sold a bill of goods. Interesting. So um, when working with clients, um, if suffering comes up, how do you walk them into a better space or advise them? Mm -hmm. So on the landscape side, a lot of times what happens is homeowners are suffering because of DIY gone wrong or throwing a lot of money at a Band-Aid fix that doesn't actually address the true intrinsic problems within that particular slice of land. And a very good example of that would be all you need to do is look at your own personal health. So if, um, you know, if very simply, if you have a headache and, and you get a headache at the same time every day, uh, you might just take Advil or aspirin or Excedrin or something, right? And make your headache go away. But if you looked at it more deeply, you might realize that the three cups of coffee and not eating and stress are creating an afternoon headache that's happening all the time. And what you really need to do is figure out how to hydrate more, cut out one of the cups of coffee, figure out a way to actually walk away from your desk, stretch, you know. And so there are there are true fixes and there are Band-Aid fixes. And a lot of what's happened in the landscape industry is that it's become a Band-Aid fix. On the business coaching side, oftentimes what, where, when I'm seeing people suffer, I'm seeing them suffer because they are looking for a savior. They're looking for an answer. They're looking for a silver bullet. So buy this app, get this program, hire this person, get this different truck, whatever it is. And they think that's going to solve their problem when the intrinsic problem, the deep problem is they're so afraid of being visible that they won't properly market themselves. So we've got to go into the depth and talk about fear of visibility. And so I think anywhere you go, and the landscape has been a great teacher to me, what it's taught me is that most of our suffering is, is a construct within our mind that happens because we think there should be an easy way out. And it's, it's not really, the human experience isn't about finding easy the human experience is about building agility, learning how to navigate, and then practice, 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 practice so that you can build proficiency. And then once you build proficiency, you will eventually wake up one morning and realize that you have entered mastery. And that is a beautiful day, but it doesn't come because you bought an app, right? <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Ooh, absolutely. Um, it's I, I, I own a, a business where it's a niche travel planning company. And um, it's been interesting to learn um, how to be a business owner uh, over the years. Uh, I have uh, 
entrepreneurs in my family. And my thought process around creating the business was I saw a problem that I had the skill set and mm. to, to solve. And I thought, what the hell? Why not? And yeah. it was very um, low, uh, low entry. It didn't cost me much besides a website, essentially, and my knowledge and time to start the business. And uh, I've had it for, oh gosh, I think six or seven years now. And the one thing that I think about regularly is uh, how can I continue to stay with the times, serve people with what they need, but also stick to like core values. And when I hear you speak, it sounds like you have a lot of uh, very strong core values. And I'm just wondering if you can highlight what they are and how that's come to be a part of your personal design and how you have built a business that walks in alignment with it. Yeah, that's a that's such a great question. Um, and I love I love the way you talked about your business that you know that it's a niche business and that you really were able to solve problems for people or or give them access to something. You just knew you could do it. I love that because I really think the seed of passion is in that, right? You didn't say I did it because I thought I could like rake in the dough. Like, okay, great. We want to make money. I, I don't want to vilify that. That's so important. But it really is about seeing a gap and then saying, oh my gosh, like this just comes easy to me. You know, I know I can do it and I can know I know I can help people with that. And I think the thing that is so neat about that is that you know, when you, when you, when you get these little glimpses of, of your genius points, like you're kind of beyond excellence. It's like, I'm just genius at this, like naturally. It's so fun to build a business around that, you know, because you know that you're working in a space that comes easy to you because it's natural and your natural agility helps you to then help somebody else who they might struggle with that. It's like, it's like, they're not, it's like, you know, somebody who can do math versus somebody who can spell, you know? Um, so anyway, I just really appreciate that. Um, so the core values, I think, you know, it's, it's so funny because again, I'm in my fourth decade working. So when I started, I didn't know anything about core values. I didn't know anything about culture building. I didn't know anything. I was, I was spending so much time learning about landscaping, um, that these things, you know, didn't really enter my field in that first decade. It was probably toward the end of the second decade that they really started to enter. And where I am now is, um, so I believe in a triple bottom line business and the triple bottom line for me is, is structured this way. I, I, I have this visual with like three circles nesting in each other. And the big circle in the back is the planet. This is the planet we live on. It's the only one we get. And, um, and, you know, maybe there'll be an exit strategy uh, at some point, but it's not gonna be in my lifetime. So my job is to make sure that I am always considering the planet in my business. And I don't just mean in my landscaping business, it just happens to be that my founding business is a landscaping company. Um, But even in my coaching business, I think, I think a lot about, about the planet. And then the second circle is people. You, you, if, if you want to do anything, you're going to consider the people. Eve, it doesn't matter what you do. If, if you do something with people, for people, in teams, uh, in collaborations, whether you're working remotely or working in person, it doesn't matter. You're integrating with people. So the consideration of people is going to be very important. And then we can think about profits. 
right? And it's not like I won't think about profit until these other two things are done. It's that I am constantly concurrently thinking about all three, that, that they are so, so important. And that is the, the, the deep, deep core baseline of the company. And then at all of my work, and then within the garden continuum, I actually took it a step further and, and divided it up a little bit and created five values that I, that I talk about here all the time. Um, and the first one is nature, right? We're, we're eco-friendly. We're an eco-friendly company. Um, we're always asking the question, is this benefiting the planet or is this harming the planet? You know, uh, so a, a, a business decision we made was to become hyper-local. Uh, I'm not a mechanic. That's my brother. Um, and, uh, but I wanted to see if I could have a lower carbon footprint. So I wasn't going to end up, you know, jerry-rigging my vehicles to have lower emissions or anything like that. I, I was very simplistic about it. I'm like, well, if I want to use less fossil fuel and create less emissions, maybe I should drive less. And so I literally gave away hundreds of thousands of dollars of work over a course of about three years in order to pull my business in. And the, the result is we pay way less in fuel. Like my bookkeeper can't believe it. I work with an industry bookkeeper and, and they're like, how do you like consume so little fuel? Like, well, we don't drive very much. 50% of my work is in one town. Remember, we're a multi-million dollar company, so that's saying a lot. And then about 40% is in all of the surrounding towns. And then about 10% or so is special work that we will travel a little farther for. And when I say travel a little farther, maybe 45 minutes. Um, the average landscape company is sometimes traveling two hours to get to jobs. Um, and so this is how... I was able to really parlay this nature and being eco-friendly, that value into business success. Um, and I won't go through all of them, but, you know, with a lot of detail like that. But the next one is people. We're, we're always working in kind, compassionate ways. And that's very easy to do when you like everybody or, and when everything is going great. <laughs> uh, the key is, can you be kind and compassionate when the shit is hitting the fan? Like, how, how do you do that? How do you manage yourself? How do you work in response rather than in reaction? And that's something that we teach to here all the time. The third value is systems. Um, we just believe that accuracy and precision are really, really important. Um, and the next one's education and being ever coachable. And the idea with education is that you're not always the one teaching somebody else. You have to be open to constructive criticism, critique, direction, and mentoring. That's really important. Or you're, you're never going to get anywhere. You have to be able to unlearn something in order to learn the next thing. And that can be a very hard thing to do, especially in the trades. People get very steeped in what they think they know. Um, and then the last is, is, um, is a sense of fun and playfulness. Really just being able to... Um, look at this as, you know, sometimes it's a little laughable, but when you can do that, you can actually administer self-care in a way that is um, like fundamentally empowering. So having a good laugh often at yourself is, I think, a really critical skill. And um, and that's hard to do because sometimes you'll feel embarrassed or you'll feel 
completely awkward about something, but at at some point you just got to laugh it off and move on and know that, you know, either you're going to learn for it for, from it or you're going to have a great story to tell. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I've had lots of those moments. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> um so looking back at your um your decades in this uh, working industry, what have been some of the challenging moments that you've experienced and how have you overcome them? Wow. So I feel like, um, you know, there are several, I mean, I, you know, I started my business in a recession. um, So I never really felt any of any of that. The great recession was a huge challenge. um, And it was on the heels of, some family challenges as well. Both my parents became uh, just really started to kind of come unraveled and my daughter got really, really sick. Um, And then, and then the great recession happened and my business um, literally dropped in half and it was scary because I, I had loans. I had, uh, you know, a lot of, um, like lease sensed. It just had a lot. And that, that man, I woke up, I tell you, I woke up, I woke up about how I spend money. I woke up about how I manage debt. And I also woke up around, um, client relationships. I, I think up until that point, I've always been a friendly person and I've always been an interesting, interested person, like interested in my clients. Um, but I was raising children and um, I think I had gotten to this place where I wanted to just be in my office. I didn't really want to, like, I wanted to be in the garden or in my office. I didn't really want to chit chat with the clients. Like I just wanted to get my work done and um, so that I could deliver for them. And so I think my work was transactional Mm. and I learned that something like the great recession happening taught me that relational is as important, if not more important than transactional. And um, I began to, I actually changed my business after that point. My business used to be the Garden Continuum Landscapes for All Seasons. And I changed my company to be the Garden Continuum Lifescapes for All Seasons. And it was where the idea of Lifescape came to me. And um, and I wrote the book many, many years later, but... um, published, I published the book 10 years later, um, because it took me that long to figure it out. But that, that was really hard. I take my kids out of the school they were in, move them into public school. Like there was just so many things because I wasn't ready for it. Like I just took the economy for granted. Um, so that was tough. And the pandemic, I would say that I certainly wasn't ready for it. Um, but I was, I, I, I surfed that one um, because I was so, I was already so relational. I was already so, I had a really good differentiator. I had really good relationships with clients, with employees, with vendors. Um, so yes, it was hard, but it, the recession was harder for me. Um, and then I think the, the other thing that was super hard for me was, learning as a business owner, as a woman, that what I want and what I am driving towards 
is okay. And I don't need to prove it to anybody. I don't need to sell it to anybody. I don't need to justify it to anybody. It's mine. And that was such a huge lesson because I think I was kowtowing to everybody else's opinion, everybody else's judgment and trying really hard, even though I was driven, even though I was audacious, even though I was building this building business, I was still carrying the weight of wanting to please everybody and not wanting to disappoint people and not wanting to make the wrong decision. And I won't, I just, gosh, I, I was probably around 20. I want to say like around 2013 might've been 2012. It was, it was on the heels of coming out of the great recession. And I had an employee leave and then take two or three of my employees with him. And I realized that I had lost track. I had absolutely lost track. I was not building my business. I was building the business that everybody else wanted me to build. And I'm telling you, I woke up Cynthia was like, I need to think about this differently. And I, I, I really dove headlong into writing the book. I really wanted to decide like, why are you doing this? What is your person purpose? Can you please codify this? Can you put the meaning into words? And, and, and then it became a book and it really helped me because now I tell people, this is how I do it. I'm a, I'm a benevolent military. Right. Like I'm a, I, I, we wear uniforms. I wear a uniform. Um, we have a clock in a clock out. I clock in and clock out. Like I do all the things that I ask you to do because I really believe just like with the landscape and with lifescape organization helps to support and breed health vitality, which helps to support and breed that wow factor, that fun factor that happens because all the other ducks are in a row. And now I just, I don't worry if people like it or not. If they don't like it, I say, you don't have to work here. Wow. I, do you find by um, embodying that you have the right people who want to work for you and those who aren't meant to be there uh, naturally filter out pretty quickly? Yes, more and more. And it doesn't make it any less painful because I'm still a human being and I want everybody to like me. <laughs> but it's just, you know, it's just, I'm, I'm, I'm a Virgo. I'm driven. I'm opinionated. I, you know, I, I state my opinion like it's a fact, even though I know it's my opinion, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm like, you know, I can't change it. And I think I, I shut myself down and I shut myself up so much because of the judgment of others that I'm at the point now where I just do what I do. And if you think it's micromanaging, or if you think it's bossy, or if you think it's overly opinionated, then I just say, okay, you, you can think that. And you can decide whether you're in alignment with the way I'm pushing the business and stay and, and I will work with you because I love collaboration. I don't need to do anything alone. That's not my way. Or you can off ramp. And when I say that, I oftentimes like I get these big wide eyes. It's like, did you just tell me I could leave? It's like, of course you, of course you can leave. You don't need to be here. I'm not going to love you any less. I want you to be so clear about what you want and where you feel good. And if that choice is to be here with me working in this company, fabulous. If you think you got to go, fabulous. It, it, it's not important for them to please me by staying, just like it's not important for me 
to bend to make them to stay. What's super important is that I am very clear and that I, and I try to share that clarity with them and then they've got to decide. Yeah. That um, seems like solid advice, not just for business, but just human interactions in general. Yeah. And like easy to say, hard to do. Right. I mean, especially when it's with someone that you really care about. Yeah. Totally. Well, you know, so my, my husband and I worked together for in in this almost 40 year jaunt. He and I worked together for about 11 years and it was like perfect timing because I it was when my kids were, you know, first born. Um, so my kids are three years apart and um, I just needed help. You know, I really wanted to be an active and um I wanted to be an engaged mom and I really wanted to be very close to my children. I mean, so much so that I built a building on my property so I could run my business out of it so I could be right near my kids, you know? Um, but when my kids got older and they didn't need me as much and I had more energy, my husband and I started to butt heads and it, you know, he was, he's, he's wonderful. You know, I'm, I'm the bigger ego in the family and he's, He's just, you know, great. And he would sort of like, let me have my, my opinion as it were. Um, but it was really starting to cause waves. And what I realized at that point was, and he did too, was that, you know, we're not going to make it as a husband and wife, if we keep working together right now, it's just not going to work. And while I don't think we did this very gracefully, we decided to part ways working together. Um, it was one of the hardest things, one of the hardest things we ever did. It was it was brutal and, and it was, you know, wrapped in disappointment and fighting and a whole lot of crapola. Um, but I'm still married to my husband and we just celebrated our 25th year anniversary and we've got an awesome relationship and I have my company and he has his company and we are still in the same field together. Um, but stepping away from people because you're no longer in alignment is it's one of the hardest things you do will do, but it's also one of the most liberating things you do. And you have more chance of, of keeping the important people in your life. If you can be honest and, you know, if you're lucky, those people will be honest back. Well, I was lucky. My husband was, he stuck with me, but I put my foot down and said, this is my business. I can do it my way. I have to do it my way. And your way is not working for me. Um, so I don't know. It's, it is hard and you're right. It's personal, it's professional. It's how do you navigate humans in the world? Not easy. Mm. Not at all, but very interesting nonetheless. Yeah. <laughs> you won't be bored. <laughs> well, there's never a dull moment, mama. No, not at all. <laughs> um, so what has been, um, how do I want to phrase this? Um, what has it been like being a woman in this industry? Mm. Well, you know, in the beginning, so I, so my dad is, uh, was, he's passed, but um, so the Middle East culture really, you know, favors the men. And um, I'm a firstborn girl. And my father and mother were quite progressive individuals. They were divorced, you know, for, you know, I think they got, finally got divorced when I was like nine, but they were all on again, off again up until then. Um, but they were both progressive individuals in the sense that they were 
both highly intelligent, um, uh, both quite eccentric, and um, and both uh, were people. They ran away from their families. You know, they 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 wanted to walk to the beat of their own drummer. And um, so when I was born, my parents treated me. They treated me like a grown up. They treated me capable. They, they believed in me. I mean, to a fault. I mean, I've got great stories of my parents, you know, just leaving me at home and, you know, all the things that would get parents arrested now. Um, but, but they just believed I could do anything, you know, maybe a little uh, ill-founded. Um, and so my dad treated me as though I was an incredibly capable individual and he never treated me, quote unquote, like a girl, you know, like he expected me to be able to drive well. Uh, he expected me to be able to um, to handle business. I we had a we had a gourmet cheese shop and deli when I was in high school, and uh, I started running that when I was sixteen. Um, and so you know, on the weekends, and so initially, I think I went into the industry not even understanding that I was moving into a space that was male dominated. Like I just didn't get it. And so I think that's why my audacity, this sort of just personal audacity, um, it just shielded me from even knowing that I was intruding in a boy space. Um, and then as time, and, and then also, you know, I had a, I definitely had a, a little bit of a chip on my shoulder and I would say, you know, to a guy, it's like, hey, dude, I can do anything you can do. Like, what are you, what are you thinking? you know, and plus I, not only can I do anything you can do, I can outthink you. So stop, you know? And so that was kind of my, my way. And I was hard to argue with, but you know, I wanted to drive trucks. I wanted to drive equipment. I wanted to ride a motorcycle, loved snowmobiles. Like I just always liked kind of the, the more testosterone filled kinds of things. And so it was very easy. It's as I got older that I started to see that I was quote unquote, like intruding. And I'll never forget, I was doing a job and the job kind of had a kind of a bit of a crazy client and she uh, sued her builder. And in suing her builder, um, all of the subcontractors and other contractors were subpoenaed. And <clears throat> I remember this builder at one point came up and kind of got in my face about something. And I I just, I just, I don't know. I got taller and bigger and leaned toward him and just answered him. And he kind of gave me a something and then walked away. And I thought, what, where did that come from? And I had, my Mason was with me and uh, you know, I was upset and he could tell him, he's like, let's walk. And so we were walking and I'm like, I just don't get it. I don't, I don't get it. And he said, well, you know, he's, he's just intimidated by you. And I, I looked at this guy, his name was Scott, real tall, hair down to the middle of his back and a big braid, huge paws, right? You just stonemason, right? And I looked at him and I'm like, intimidating. I'm like, look at me. I'm this little tiny woman. How am I intimidating him? And he turned and looked at me and he goes, whoa, I'm a little intimidated by you. And I, and, and I was like, you've got to be kidding me. And I think that was when I realized that the difficulty that women often, I think, have in the male-dominated industries isn't that the men think they're stupid and incapable, even though I think that's probably there too. Mm 
I think often what happens is they're just intimidated. They don't get us and they don't understand what we'll do if we're in that space. And when I realized that, I thought to myself, oh, my job isn't to go in there and prove myself. My job is to go in there and, and share with them how I could be an asset to them, how I can highlight them, how I can make the project better. And I had an opportunity to do this because I was working with the state of Massachusetts, the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, to do a renovation project on the Charles River. It was a huge project. It was really a career builder for me. And I was brought in to work with a huge engineering firm. And when I came in to, to work with them, I was literally iced, literally just iced in this room. Nobody wanted to talk to me. I ended up working on this project for almost five years. And I would, and I said to myself, I am going to, I am going to ensure that these people understand that I'm an ally. I'm not going to kowtow and make their coffee. I'm going to be smart. I'm going to be outspoken. I'm going to be a really strong participant in this collaboration, but I'm going to make them understand that I am their ally, that I am on their team, that I'm going to help them. And by helping them, I'm helping me and I'm making sure the project will go well. I just put my ego aside and I started to assess each of the men in that room and how they needed to be worked with and how they needed to be approached. And I will tell you within six months, I was friends with all of them. Mm -hmm. I was working in their office. I was being invited to do collaborations with them in their office. It was so cool, but it was hard work. And I had to like check my ego. I had to check my own offense, right? So that I wouldn't go in there and be all, hey, I'm a woman, I equal opportunity, blah, blah, blah. That's not gonna get you anywhere. Instead, I had to sort of check my ego, check my offense, and instead say, okay, how do I work my way into, into this group so that they see me as valuable? And I mean, granted, not every person is going to love me. I get it. But the people that mattered and the groups that mattered, I know I made an impact. And I've just been doing that ever since. I've just been it's just one person, one human being at a time. If we approach people as humans, you know, and not race or gender or religion or political affiliation, we just, we approach them as humans. Then what, what we realize is we are all one and, and we can do really beautiful things when we do that. Absolutely. I think in, in saying like checking your ego, it, uh, it's, it's, uh, disarming for other people that you're interacting with and allows them to see that oneness as well. Um, there's a, there's a certain ease that comes with it and it's uh, almost like giving people permission to like you, <laughs> you know, it's like, I don't know how else to, how else to define it, but I know exactly what that feels like. And I, I like to say one of my gifts is being able to to read people and see their their needs and how to communicate with them and, and really connect with people uh, relatively quickly and become buddies, pals, friends, find something that's common ground. And it just leads to a natural um, uh, likeness for for each other. I think that's brilliant. I think that the idea of common ground is so, so great, you know, and here at, at the garden containment, it's really interesting because we have a lot of dog lovers and dog like rescuers. And so it's just really neat that, you know, that, that love can, can bridge so much of the differences. 
um, realize, you know, the heart is the same. And, um, and so I love what you said. I, I really think that, that giving people permission to like you by finding your common ground and then building on that. And when you have really strong common ground, you can then have really substantive differences and, and discussions and even arguments and still come back from them. Absolutely. Well, because you have that, that basis of understanding and oneness. And it, it, I think there comes a certain level of respect that enables everyone to come back to center and just see each other for being humans. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that. Beautiful. Well, this is my favorite question to ask. And it is, um, Monique, if you could go back in time and give your uh, younger you some words of wisdom, what age would you be and what would you say? Wow. Um, I think that I would be, gosh, that is such a good question. And I've heard you ask other guests and I've been kind of thinking about it ever since. Um, I think I would give my 18 year old self I, w- I would sit her down and I would tell her that she's enough, that she doesn't have to prove anything to anyone, that she can follow her heart, be a little weird, because she was always a little weird, and like embrace the weirdness, embrace the awkwardness, embrace the this kind of edge edge dwelling kind of person that she was and keep all of that dynamically alive and engaged in all of the next things she does. And yeah, yeah. And the reason why I say that is because there was a shutdown period. I'm 56 and a lot of what's coming back, what started to come back after both my parents died and there's just so much going on is that I realized that I am revisiting parts of my younger self that I shut down to be a business owner, to be a wife, to be a mother. Like I just put them in a box. I just put them away. Like this has to go away for now. It's too much. It's too much. But when I look back, I think, gosh, if I could have woven all of that in earlier and not be trying so hard to weave it all in right now, I think it might've been a little bit more of an exceptional life. Wow. Oh, that's really powerful. And uh, so much of what you just said resonates with mm. me. And uh, I encourage everybody is to, to follow those words of wisdom and, and find your own little weirdo self and, mm-hmm. and, and understand that we all are really attracted to uniqueness. <laughs> It makes life all the more interesting. Well, Monique, thank you so much for being a guest on Her Drive. Before we say goodbye, is there anything else that you would like to share? Yeah, well, I just, you know, I invite anybody who is kind of on that entrepreneurial path and wanting joy to follow me on Instagram. That's probably the best way to connect with me uh, at Monique.Allen. Um because the thing that I really think for, for people who, and you know, it's funny because I say the entrepreneurial journey, but I work with a lot of people who are developing their career. 
and trying to figure, and my children are developing their careers, right? So I'm, I'm, I'm watching how they're doing it. And I think one of the central things is that we need, we need to figure out how to weave joy in through like all of the fabric of our lives, because we can be joyful and feel grief. We can be joyful and have an upset moment and still have joy. And so I just really hope that that all your whole audience just like takes that in because that's like my favorite thing to talk about. I just started a really, really cool regenerative business group. I've been doing it for God, about 20 weeks now, 26 weeks. And it's just really, really cool. If you can get in the room with people that are going to help spark your joy. That's, that's the best possible thing. Cause when you are in a state of joy, you actually have the ability to navigate your life so much better. That is so true. And it just brings really amazing people right into your lap. Absolutely. Amazing. Well, thank you so very much. It's been quite a pleasure talking with you, Monique Allen. And for all the listeners, be sure to check the show notes. I will um, link to uh, social media and websites. And please don't forget to leave reviews for the podcast, share with people who you think would find this uh, interesting and inspiring. And again, another round of applause and thank you for Monique Allen. It's been a pleasure. Me too. Thank you so much for having me, Cynthia. Thanks for listening to Her Drive with Cindy Cramblett. If you want to know more about today's guest or know a fascinating woman you'd love for me to interview, please see the show notes, visit Instagram or her-drive.com. And please, 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 if you love the show, leave a review on iTunes. Thanks for riding along and subscribe to join our next woman and her drive to success.